大家好，我是 Lydia， 欢迎来到国际聊天室。Hey everyone, I'm Lydia. You're listening to International Talk. 今天的来宾是来自加州的 Van， 虽然他在美国长大，但他有非常有趣的背景。今天他会跟我们分享，除了他的背景以外，他六岁搬去美国的感觉，还有遇到的一些事情，他对自己身份的一些纠结。I'm so excited to share this conversation with you today with Van. Although she grew up in California, she has a very interesting background. Aside from this, she'll also talk to us about moving to the U.S. at the age of six, her battle with her cultural identity, and what she learned from a year with her extended family in Cambodia. So, without further ado, let's get started. Welcome, Van. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. So let's start off with that question that everyone hates to answer. <laughs> Where are you from? I'm from Saigon, Vietnam.、Um, I was born in Saigon, Vietnam, but I grew up in California, Southern California, specifically. Orange County. That's <laughs> <laughs> very specific. Yeah, I don't even know where that. Wait, is that OC? That's the OC. Yeah,、right? that's the OC. It's like、okay. I always say it's an hour south of LA, so、oh, okay. people know LA, but it's like right next to LA County. The only yeah, the only thing I know about that is the OC, which I haven't actually watched either, so I don't know anything about that. But yeah. <laughs> And where are your parents from? Well, both of my parents are Chinese,、um, but kind of from all over the place. So my dad was born in China, and then he moved to Cambodia during World War II. And then my mom was born in Cambodia, and then she like fled to Vietnam during the Khmer Rouge or the Cambodian genocide. Wow! Yeah. <laughs> so even your parents moved a lot before you were born.、Mm -hmm. Yeah. Changed culture, kind of. Very mixed cultures. I think we're we're like a family of like refugees <laughs> and like mixed cultures. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel when people ask you, let's say, like you're doing like I don't know, a quick question answer thing, and someone asks you, "Oh, where are you from?" Where would you say like the first instinct? Um, I usually just say California because、mm -hmm. I feel like I lived there my whole life. I like grew up there, so I feel like that's a larger part of where I am than、yeah. like Vietnam, even though it says like that on my passport.、Mm, yeah, it's, it's a bigger part of your identity. Being Californian, yeah, I think so. I would say. Cool. Well, we'll talk about it a bit more later. <laughs> yes. Um, which countries have you lived in? I lived in the U.S., California, and then I moved to Cambodia to live for a year, and then I lived in Taiwan for one and a half year. <laughs> I feel like I've been here for two years, but one and a half years. Yeah. yeah time flies when you go to a new place. Yeah.、Like. Mm -hmm. Cool. We'll definitely talk about Cambodia later too. I want to ask about that.、It、sounds really interesting. I've never been, but I've always wanted to go. And how many languages do you speak? <laughs> I feel like I beat myself up for this a lot because I used to be fluent in like Cantonese, Hokkien, Vietnamese. Wow.、Um, I was like fluent in all those languages when I was six, and then I came to the U.S. and my mom was like, "You need to learn English." That's your first priority. You need to learn English, and then she put me in Chinese school because she was like, "Well, the next thing is you need to learn Mandarin Chinese." Because I、mm -hmm. didn't know Mandarin at that time, but at the same time, I also needed to like keep up my Vietnamese, keep <laughs> up my Cantonese, keep up my Hokkien, and I couldn't keep up with any of it. I just sort of like got overwhelmed. That's then, too many. Yeah, they're similar too. So it's like too many languages that are really similar. Yeah, they're really similar. At school, I was also learning Spanish as part of my curriculum. Oh wow! So I just sort of. Like got overloaded. I basically lost almost everything except for obviously English. I like became fluent in English.
English, but I like lost my fluency in like almost all the other languages. But I, I can still understand what people are saying, and like、mm. it became sort of like broken. And I would say now my Mandarin is actually like better than my my first language, Vietnamese,、mm. <laughs> and like Hokkien. Do you still、yeah. use your Vietnamese? Not really. At home, I speak Hokkien. So like after I moved out of Viet- yeah with my mom and my aunt, but after I moved out of Vietnam, I didn't really have to use Vietnamese anymore. Right. Yeah. So I just never just left my body. <laughs> this might be a dumb question, but wait, I actually don't know the difference between Cantonese and Hokkien. Where Where are they from? Yeah. So I think Cantonese is like I want to say like Guangdong. I don't、okay. know. I think that's where my dad's from. Okay. Um, in Hong Kong, they speak Cantonese. Right. And then Hokkien is a lot closer to like the Taiwanese, like like Kujia. Yeah,、Hong. yeah, like the Taiwanese Hokkien. Okay. But ours sounds a lot different because it's like been through the Cambodian influence and the Vietnamese influence. So like when we speak it, it sounds like a completely different language, even though there's like some overlap.、Oh. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so it's it's similar to the Taiwanese Hokkien. Yeah, yeah. Because that's what your mom speaks. Yeah, my mom is like from Fujian, or my grandma is originally from Fujian Province in China.、Ah, okay. And so that's what she spoke to my mom. And what do you do now that you're in Taiwan? Well, right now I'm teaching English <laughs> at a preschool, and I'm also transitioning into being a full time freelance illustrator. That's so exciting!、Yay. Tell us more about that. How did you get started in illustrating and all that? I mind. <laughs> In graphic design,、uh-huh. in uni, and I took like one illustration course as part of that minor, and I was like really interested in it initially, but I was like really bad at drawing. I had I always like liked to draw, like it was a hobby, of course, but like I was like, wow, like this can be kind of like a viable career because、mm-hmm. it was the first time I saw illustration as part of like designing or like doing illustration for client and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, so I had that in the back of my brain, and then after I graduated, I started just practicing. Like drawing a lot, I did like these challenges, and I started posting on my Instagram just to like. If you go all the way back on my Instagram, it was just really bad. <laughs> But I like uploaded it just to like keep track of my stuff. And so I think as I kept going, I just like gained more like followers.、Mm-hmm. I think only within the past year or two, I sort of like got a lot of interest, and I started seeing like illustration as a potential thing that I wanted to do from like hobby to being able to like monetize it. Yeah, now I'm like full time trying to. You know, get clients and like build a platform. It's so hard for me to imagine you saying that you're bad at drawing because your drawings are so <laughs> good. And like when I watch those videos of your like your TikTok videos of like how you draw and stuff, like looks like it just seems so natural to you. Like it doesn't、Thank、seem、you. like it's something you had to practice.、That's、yeah, really impressive. Thank you. No, I feel like I've always been really interested in.、It. Like I would like love watching anime and then like copying how they draw. I just like transitioned that from like. Now I just want to draw what I see in front of me, and then try to translate that. But it's definitely like a process, and like not being afraid of making mistakes for sure. Yeah, yeah. Do you have like a specific thing you like to draw, or do you just draw、mm-hmm. anything that people ask you to draw, or how does that work? I specifically like to draw more like fantasy, like related things, more like kid illustration or like kid lit. That's like a genre of illustration for、mm-hmm. children's books or like children related things. I think. I, I'm more drawn to that. Like, I like to bring a lot of like silliness and like nostalgia into my illustrations.、Mm-hmm. Either that, 
that or like in my on my personal drawings i really like to do mundane things like romanticizing like your mundane life and then mm. translating that into illustration i think like kind of a nice way of like capturing a moment it's a little bit like meditative for me as well mm. that's so exciting thank you <laughs> so any listeners out there if you're looking for an illustrator or if you have an yes. illustration task you yeah. can yeah contact Van. i will put her um, information do you just take all them all the orders through instagram or do you do like email or um i should have my email in the description or okay. so um, you can just email me <laughs> yeah cool. i'll definitely put all the information um in the description as well thank you <laughs> and do you have any other hobbies besides from drawing i really like to dance as well not like professionally not pursuing that in a professional way <laughs> at all but i i think like as an illustrator or even before my work as like a content creator or whatever i'm always like on the computer so i was like okay i need to find something is going to get me to move more so that i can like fix my back pain <laughs> um but i hated going to the gym um even though i feel like i had to but i was like i need let's find something fun so i like signed up for dance classes and it was really like awkward at first but I think it was really fun. It like got me out of my comfort zone. And now it's just like try to regularly do whenever I feel like, oh, I've been like not moving for too long. So I just need to sweat it out in like an hour. Side note, I've seen Van dancing and it's actually really good. <laughs> thank you. I think you're really good at hip hop dancing. <laughs> thank you. Oh, wait, how long have you been dancing then? How long since you took your first class? I think it's been about three years. Yeah, I think three years minus the pandemic. I didn't dance at all during the pandemic. That's actually not very long. Yeah, I, I used to like, I love like watching K-pop dancing. So I used to like try to like learn those moves all the time. And then I was like, Ugh, I give up. It's too hard. I, I need to take like professional lessons. I feel like that was some sort of training. So if you want to include my years <laughs> of like replicating K-pop dances, I'd say it's like eight years. <laughs> okay maybe that's at least that gives you a foundation I guess, yeah maybe yeah i don't know like well okay so put some context van mm -hmm. took me to one of her hip-hop dancing classes last week and <laughs> i was terrible and i realized like i just do not have the coordination for like arms and legs at the same time like i just lose focus and like, i can't do both at the same time mm -hmm. um so now i have even more respect for you because oh, <laughs> i'm just like even the tiniest movement where it's like all we're doing is like what was it moving the shoulder yeah and i was just like i can't I can't, I can't i can't look i can't make it look like the way that you guys do yeah. so i have a lot of respect for you guys thank you no yeah it's it'll always be super awkward at first trust <laughs> trust me i think uh i felt like that too in the beginning but it's fun you know like i feel like friends looking silly together it's always fun so yeah, yeah. you should come back next time <laughs> uh, we'll see i don't know okay okay <laughs> maybe we do like private classes or something because i feel like especially because when the teacher when it's like a group class the teacher can't really adjust to like mm -hmm. you know the students because like for me i'm pretty sure most of the other people there had some basics mm -hmm. and so they could keep up at least a little bit yeah. and i was just like i can't even keep up with the basics so i feel like maybe if i ever did a private class potentially potentially but I don't know, those group classes, I think, are too hard for me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, a lot of people, I think, start going to those classes when they feel a little bit more, oh, I can follow along. We'll see. I mean, never say never, right? Yeah. <laughs> never say never. <laughs> 首先，我问范他来自哪里。他说他在越南出生，但是从小在美国的加州长大。接着我问他他的爸妈来自哪里。他的爸爸是中国人，但是第二次世界大战的时候搬到了柬埔寨。然后他妈妈是柬埔寨人，但是当时有一个大屠杀，所以他的妈妈逃到了越南。我说他的故事很特别。
因为在他出生之前，他的父母已经经历了各种移民和文化的改变。因为他的背景很复杂，我问他如果要用一个答案去回答你的第一个反应会是来自哪里，他说他还是会选择说他来自加州，毕竟他从小在那边长大，也是影响他最多的文化。接着我问他还有住过哪些国家，他说美国之后他去了柬埔寨住了一年，接着就来到台湾。我问他会哪些语言，他说他以前会很流利的广东话、越南话。还有福建话，但是搬到美国之后，他的妈妈跟他说，一定要把英文学好，也把他送到中文学校去学国语。所以后来他一次学太多，然后觉得有点混乱，后来小时候会的那些语言就慢慢的退步，现在只剩英文和国语比较流利。福建话他还是会听，因为在家里跟妈妈还是会用福建话，但其他的因为太少用，所以他觉得很可惜。我问他现在来到台湾在做什么？他说他是一位幼稚园老师，同时也是一位自由业的插画家。我请他分享当初怎么会开始做插画。大学的时候，他修了一堂插图的课。他说他一直很喜欢画画，可是他以前很不会画画。但是上了那堂课之后，他发现其实这可以成为一个工作。所以毕业后，他就开始自己练习画画，参加了一些网络上的小比赛，然后发在他的 IG 上当做记录。慢慢的，他开始累积粉丝。到了这一两年，他才开始觉得插画可以变成一种收入。我说我很难想象，他说他以前不会画画，因为我觉得他画画很厉害，而且他的影片给我的感觉就是他画起来很轻松。他说他以前很喜欢看动漫，然后会去学他们的画风，所以他真的有历练过一段时间。而且 Van 说不能怕犯错，要一直持续的练习才可以进步。他说他比较喜欢画的风格是有点像儿童书那种风格，比较可爱有趣，不会太严肃。另一种风格，他喜欢的是把普通的东西变成有点梦幻的感觉。在这里顺便推荐一下，如果有任何人正在找插画家，或是有任何插图的需求，都可以联络 Van， 透过他的 Instagram 或是 Email 资讯在简介里面。我问 Van 不是工作或画图的时候，他喜欢做些什么？他喜欢跳舞。之前因为工作和画画都是动态的，大部分的时候都在用电脑，所以他那时候想找一个好玩的运动，所以决定去学跳舞。虽然一开始有点尴尬，但他逼自己要跳出舒适圈，持续练习。我看过 Van 跳舞，我觉得他很强。他说他学了三年，但是疫情时没有跳。我说其实三年没有很久诶、欸，我以为他跳很久很久了。他说因为他也很喜欢看韩国团体的一些舞蹈，所以他会试着去模仿。不过那个时候他觉得很难，也许看久了也会稍微了解舞蹈的节奏吧。跟大家讲个小故事，上礼拜 Van 说服我和他一起去上一堂跳舞课，我觉得超级爆难，而且那已经是给初学者的，但我的肢体真的很不协调，我只能动手或是动脚，但无法同时。所以上完那堂课，我更佩服 Van。他说一开始都是这样，如果继续练习一定会进步。我说也许如果上一对一，我可以试试看，因为团体班如果跟不上，其实就真的很难。但是一对一的话，老师可以依照我的速度去教，因为我的跳舞能力真的很弱。他说好，接着让我们来听听访谈的第二部分。Now let's listen to the second part of the interview. 
So now we know a little bit more about you and where you're from. Mm -hmm. Let's dive in deeper into some of those experiences and your life experiences. Okay. Um, <laughs> so first of all, what was it like moving to California? So you were six years old. Is that correct? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What was it like moving there so young? Do you still remember it? How did you feel going there? I remember it being like a completely like stepping onto a completely different planet. I thought I flew into a spaceship or something because that was also like my first time being on an airplane. And then we landed and I stepped out of the I distinctly remember like walking out of LAX and then seeing like immediately seeing this like highway bridge and mm -hmm. like the tallest trees I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and just thinking like, this is the future. Like this, I've never seen this many cars. I've never seen a car driving on a concrete road that's like I don't know how many feet above me <laughs> yeah I was like blown away for like the first three months I thought like I was on vacation I was like oh we're gonna go back home mm. anytime now yeah but then we never did and then I had to go to school which was horrible kids were like really mean like mm. they they see you and they're like you know kids can be super rough <laughs> you know like super blunt Mm -hmm. and things like that like they would feed me like all sorts of like bad English words and then <gasps> I would say it in class and I would always get in trouble like all no, the time yeah so mean. it's super mean and and I just like didn't understand like why yeah. I, I didn't know why I was getting in trouble because I didn't know what I was saying of course because you yeah. were thrown into like a normal American school right where mm -hmm. and you didn't speak English then yeah I didn't speak English my mom like I remember them saying that they wanted to hold me back a year so that I can like catch up but my mom mm -hmm. didn't want me because I came when I was six and they were like oh she needs to go into kindergarten um but that was like for like five four or five year olds mm -hmm. my mom was like no just put it into the regular grade which is like first grade so I didn't oh. I didn't learn any of like ABCs or anything I was like start, I started off immediately with just like full-blown just like English like I, the teacher was like why can't you read and I'm like oh no I can't read I don't know apparently I learned I like learned really quickly like a lot mm -hmm. faster I think it was just sort of like out of necessity <laughs> there's just more pressure because I was like I had to show these bullies, you know, <laughs> like I know how to spell. Yeah. Yeah. It was just really difficult, like culturally as well. I remember this one time I was like on the playground and, you know, like back in Vietnam, it's like super, super humid and hot. And I think for like younger kids, it's just okay to like take off your clothes. Mm -hmm. And I just like did that in the middle of the playground. <laughs> and then everyone's like, <gasps> oh no, why did you have her shirt off? And I was just standing there like, oh, it's so hot. Finally, I could like take <laughs> off this itchy shirt. Like, the teachers are, like, rushing me to the principal office. Like, you oh, can't no. just take off your clothes like that. That's not okay. And I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah, because to you, it's so normal. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, to me, I'm like, it's hot, so I take off my clothes. And, like, that's fine. So, yeah, that was one thing that I was like, okay, cool. There are some more societal norms <laughs> here than that I don't know about. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that must be so hard. Because I feel like even as an adult, when you move somewhere and mm -hmm. you don't know the customs and how things are in society, there's already things where you're just... And you know that as an adult because you're like okay I'm moving to a new place they do things differently here yeah but as a child you don't you don't know like no one tells you the world has all these different things and people do things differently um, yeah I feel like even teaching kids at school right like do things at home that are different to at school and even that to them is shocking and it's like I can't imagine like a whole new culture and like a whole new society yeah um, I felt like there was a lot of resentment that I built up because there wasn't anything that I could do right you know what I mean yeah. 
Yeah. Like I was just like, I'm doing this. I don't know. I'm just being told it's wrong, but like yeah. no one was telling me why. Like it just is. But yeah. like there isn't really a why either because no. it's a different country. Yeah. <laughs> so like there isn't like people don't know. They don't know how to explain it to you either. I think to like a six year old, I was just like, okay, well it is the way it is. But I definitely I was I felt really isolated mm. and like were a little bit resentful of like the adults around me. Yeah. Were yeah. there any other Asians in your school? No, I I did have a, a couple of friends that were、mm-hmm. Asians、um, that I eventually like made as I grew older, but. Most of my earlier friendships were Mexican, like Hispanic Americans, because、um, mm. my school that area was like a lot of Hispanic Americans. Like my first best friend, her name is Leslie Paredes. <laughs> like she, she was my first friend ever. Like I think we bonded a lot because we sort of had that like immigrant. Like she, her parents、mm-hmm. were also immigrants. Like she spoke Spanish at home. I, you know, spoke Vietnamese or Hokkien at home, and so we had that shared background. Yeah, because I can imagine it must be really hard if you're the、yeah, the only Asian. And then there's no one else who looks like you or does things like you, and so、mm-hmm. you really do feel like you're the only one. But at least if there are other cultures or other immigrants or children of immigrants, then at least you're not the only person who doesn't know what's going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. So that's good. It's good that you had that at least. How did you learn English actually when you first got there? Other than being thrown into the school? <laughs> yeah, I went to this local library that was across from my house. So there was like a library right in between my school and my House. I would always go to the library after school to do my homework until my mom got off work.、Mm-hmm. I like joined the book club there. They they had like all all sorts of programs. Like、mm-hmm. they were like, oh, if you read like a hundred books, you get like a prize. <laughs> and I basically lived at that library over the summer. Wow.、Um, I was there a lot. Like I made friends with the staff there. I remember like I joined writing competitions and things like that because I was like anything else to do. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely like in my early days, like reading and listening to like audio cassettes. Were、mm-hmm. super helpful、mm-hmm. because I was just like picking up on how to like say certain things correctly. Did you like reading, or was it more like a necessity that you felt like you had to, or did you actually enjoy it as well? I loved it. Yeah,、okay. I loved reading. I don't know. It was just so much fun, and I think like the library was like a really nice community as、mm-hmm. well because there were like all sorts of people there that like talked to you about what to read and all of these things, and they were like like really supportive. Yeah, yeah, I like loved it. I was, and my library is still there. Like. When I go back home, I always see it there. I'm like, oh, that's my library. <laughs> you know, I like keep all my library cards and stuff like that. Now that you mention、yeah. it, I've never seen or met a mean person in a library. No, now that yeah, they're so sweet. Yeah, everyone who loves reading is a nice person. <laughs> yeah, honestly, they're the best. I remember when I first got there, I couldn't even see above like the check-in counter,、Aww. and then I came back. So I like stopped going after I moved to a different school, and I came back, and I was able to see above the counter. <laughs> and I asked the librarian, I was like, "Did you cut the counter?" She was like, "No, you just grew up." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> cool!、Aww. I can see over the counter now." You're like, "Oh, they." Must have made it shorter. Yeah, they must have. There's no way I got taller because <laughs> it doesn't feel Aww, like it. That's so cute. Yeah, <laughs> that's nice. So yeah, it's important. I think it's important to find a place where you feel a little more relaxed or a little bit more comfortable, and then you can, you know, focus on whatever you're trying to do. And I think、mm-hmm. that's good. It's good to find a, a safe haven, so to、mm-hmm. say. And growing up, did you feel more? Because you, when you went there, obviously you must have felt fully Vietnamese. But then having、mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. lived there for so long and, and being there for like you know the formative years so to say yeah um did you start to feel more american or was it like a gradual process or did you always feel like both or i feel like my trajectory felt like i felt very chinese and vietnamese very asian when mm-hmm. i first got there and then slowly I, I felt like i was a lot more american like i felt like i started to absorb a lot of like american ideals a lot of american behaviors cultures and all of that and i felt very american in my middle school high school years when i got into college that's when i started to feel a lot more blending those two sides of mm-hmm. me and i started to really feel and explore my asian american identity mm-hmm. i went to a college that was in like a very upscale like there were not that many minorities at my college and i started to like seek out like other asian people whenever mm-hmm. i see like an asian face i'm like you <laughs> you're gonna be my friend and i would like gravitate towards like people who looked like me and like shared that same identity and yeah. as we started to talk more i was like yeah like we have all these experiences that are like really similar and it's not like the same as like asians but it's not the same as like Amer- like right. americans or like white americans mm-hmm. and so i i was like this asian american identity identity i've started to feel like that was more like if i had to put a label that's more me than yeah. anything else when you said um in middle school and high school you started to feel more american what mm. was it that made you feel american is there like something in particular that you would do or say or uh, i don't know maybe the way you dressed or how did you feel american i think it was more like i really wanted to you know like fit in at school i really wanted to whenever I see other kids at school, um, I was like, that feels more like the way it should be. They like know what's going on socially. You know, <laughs> they have their social groups. Like they look more like the things that I see on TV. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the media and things like that. And then I like look at my own home life and I'm like, that's not what I have. <laughs> like why? And I started to get, I lashed out. Like my mom and I fought so much like mm-hmm. over these things. And I was so like resentful that like she couldn't provide that thing you know like the normal american family Mm -hmm. and there was so much hate there was so much Mm -hmm. like hatred i don't know it was just like a super turbulent time that was mainly what made me feel like i want that like i i like kept wanting to to reach towards some things that like i just couldn't have Mm. you know do you have an example of something that you would see other families or homes have that you didn't or something that was different whether it's like food or i don't know i had a really uh close friend of mine like she was actually my carpool in middle school and high school and she only lived like a block down the street from me so I like I would go to her house like every day mm-hmm. after school and she had like you know the big house with the big backyard she had mm-hmm. you know the full family unit um mm-hmm. like she celebrated Thanksgiving like every oh, Thanksgiving okay. like right. they would Traditions. do the thing yeah like every July 4th they would have a barbecue uh-huh. a movie <laughs> nights like all of these things and I was over at her house a lot and I just kept thinking like this feels more like what I see on TV like this feels nice and I would actually get mad like she would like fight with her mom sometimes or she'd get mad at her mom and I'm like you be grateful like you be grateful (laughs) like you have all of these things you know I would like lecture about it but like you know she's like I have my own issues and I was just like no you don't you don't have any issues (laughs) like you you have it all and especially when it started coming time to like prepare for college like my mom never finished middle school Mm -hmm. you know like she whatever college like whatever's the cheapest option or whatever Mm -hmm. but like her family would like push her to do they were like you need to do extracurricular yeah you need to do extracurriculars like you need to like write these essays you need to like they had a whole plan for her and strategy and I felt like 
like I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Like I was like, I'm going to go into community college and that's fine. And that's what I'm going to do. And it was actually her dad that was like, Van, you're not going to be happy in a community college. Like you should prepare to go into like a a four year private university if you can. Like there's this and this grants that you can get, these and these Mm -hmm. loans. And I was like, whoa, like I had no idea, you know, you know, it just added further to my resentment. I was like, like her dad's preparing me and not my mom, you know, (laughs) like I like blame my mom at the time. But like, obviously, like she also was just trying her best. Yeah, of course. And I think like you said, when you're that young still, like you feel like you were thrown in this country you mm-hmm. you had no choice in it right like you were thrown yeah. in this country and yet your mom didn't didn't prepare you for it and your mom didn't know how to help you yeah um, so and of course when you're that young always think your parents are like and we think our parents are perfect basically at that age you know when they're not perfect we're like how could you how could you not <laughs> yeah do this? it's kind of like why are the roles reversed like cause yeah. i felt like i had to help my mom a lot in terms of getting through the american the dense american bureaucracy yeah. <laughs> and i'm like i don't know what's going on yeah she doesn't know what's going on but of the two of us i was more equipped to 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 do it because i could speak english and so it just felt like this role reversal where i see other parents helping their kids like i wasn't getting the same help you know i felt a lot of this like tension and like kind of like hurt yeah of course of course and i think there's also like you said when you see other people getting the support that you want Mm -hmm. and like you said even though like looking back now you know it's not your mom's fault that she couldn't do that but of course when you're surrounded by everyone else who has that support and you're just like why don't i have that um and when you're younger you don't understand why yeah so i think yeah i think it's completely understandable um that you had those feelings and you know it's, it's difficult i honestly think children of immigrants and like moving countries at a young age it's so much harder than people think you know i feel like our, the last gen- our parents generation like when they mm. would move countries they never thought about these things they were just like they'll be fine you know <laughs> yeah and actually like now i think now our generation is like wait a minute no these are like big things and like hopefully now everyone's learning that you know like when you do have to move a child or or even as an adult like just moving is actually a really big deal yeah and i think there's a lot more support and resources that we can actually give people and like help people when they are in a new environment mm-hmm. um, and i think one of the things that you mentioned as well was media right because you were saying how there's you thought that was a normal because that's what you saw on tv right, right. Like things like even to me like I, i've never lived in the u.s i've never celebrated july 4th i've never celebrated thanksgiving you know yeah. so like i can imagine <laughs> if i went to the u.s and it's like thanksgiving like i don't know how to do that but if everyone's doing it and you see it on tv and everyone's Mm -hmm. talking about thanksgiving like i can imagine it would feel really strange why am i not doing thanksgiving like yeah um so i think media plays such a big role and i'm really glad that i feel like now at least in society more there are more and more um asian americans on tv or like Mm -hmm. you know children of immigrants so i think that hopefully will help the next generation yeah Um, for sure for sure i can also imagine for your mom she wanted to probably keep some you know of her heritage and her traditions did Mm -hmm. she do that do that at home with you or what kind of things did she try to do to keep your like asian side it was a lot of little things like one of the biggest things that she always said you have to greet your elders like when you walk into the house because i like i was like why do i have to do that (laughs) i remember like like you know getting into my rebellious phase and being like i don't know these people like why do i have to say hi to them it's so awkward it's so awkward i just like run away into my room Mm -hmm. but she was like no like when you when you come into the house and you see like other people there like you have to greet them Mm -hmm. and like basically bow that's uh, so asian yeah Yeah. like you have to greet them like when you eat you have to you know tell people you're eating you 
you know, invite <laughs> them to eat. I guess if you to translate it, I don't know how to say it. Like invite them to come eat, or yeah. like at least let them know you're eating. There's like these, you know, little traditions and like the red envelope thing. Like during、um, Chinese New Year, we like I went around and I would like greet everyone, and she's like, okay, you have to like, greet everyone, and then they'll give you a red envelope, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> like fine. <laughs> I'm like because I'm getting red envelopes. <laughs> The most fundamental thing that she would not let me lose、mm. um, in terms of my Asian heritage was kind of like respect for elders、mm. and being filial piety and、mm-hmm. all of these, like remembering to like honor your elders and your、mm. ancestors. And we always,、um, my family is like Taoist, so we would always like offerings.、Mm-hmm. Um, I think every fifteen or something on the lunar calendar. <laughs> I don't remember very clearly, but、yeah. like I remember at least like every two weeks or something like that, we'd have to do a little fruit offering. Like tea ceremony, all of that thing.、Oh, okay, wow. Yeah, I'm assuming your mom had like a little community there, like a little、mm-hmm. Asian community or Viet- Vietnamese community, maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like that's how they they try to keep their like roots as well. They try to keep and、mm-hmm. together because they have each other. Probably they can talk about those traditions and things. Yeah.、Um, but greetings definitely one I I also really remember because I also even now I think if I like see chil- if there are children and you know and they come around they have to say like oh ai hao I'm Or like once they do, I always hear the older generation say, "Oh, how quiet!" Yeah, and it's like if they don't say anything, it's oh, she's not a good child. She's not like, a good child. Yeah, yeah. I remember、uh, that. I mean, I guess in Western culture we don't ignore them either, but like for some reason it's just not a thing you put so much emphasis on. Like if I was to see like、uh, an uncle, I'd also be like, "Oh, hey, uncle!" But like it's not something that you think about. It's, yeah, it's, it's a lot more natural, you know? <laughs> right? It's like they don't like judge you <laughs> for、yeah. it if you don't do it. They're not like, "Oh, you horrible person!" Yeah, <laughs> yeah you horrible. Child, I totally agree. I remember. I very distinctly remember that. Like, I remember like not saying it, and then like someone would say like, "Oh, she's so not raised well" or something,、yeah. and then you know, and I'd be like, "Okay, well, I refuse. I refuse to say." <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna like, conform to your yeah. I'm not gonna、norms. conform. <laughs> yeah, I was very rebellious. <laughs> so you mentioned that after you graduated, you moved to Cambodia for、um, a year. Why did you decide to go there? My, I went there because all of my dad's family lives in Cambodia currently, and. My dad passed away when I was three years old, which is the reason why my mom and I immigrated to the U.S. to be more with my mom's family. I had visited Cambodia every few years、um, after I got my passport to visit my dad's family, but I never like I don't know anything about my dad,、uh, mm-hmm. and my mom kind of like doesn't want to talk about it as much, which I、mm-hmm. understand. But every time I go back, I'd be like learning something new、mm-hmm. about him or about you know the Cambodian genocide that my whole family like lived through. Or like、mm-hmm. survived, and it's like crazy. It's like absolutely like the wildest stories. That I'm like I cannot imagine to have lived through that. I wanted to just go there and like bond with them and get to know more about my dad's family and more about like my dad. It was kind of like going back to the motherland in a way. <laughs>、um, even though I didn't live in Cambodia, I felt like there was that side of me that I didn't really know anything about.、Mm. So that was just an attempt to learn more about that.、Mm-hmm. I feel like that's also kind of an Asian thing. A lot of I feel like a lot of Asians when they go through grief, they're、mm-hmm. not willing to talk about、um, either the person or you know the process. Yeah.、Um, so I feel like that, I can imagine、um, that's probably something that you know you're always curious about because probably it wasn't yeah like you said your mom didn't talk about it or yeah.、Um, but of course you're you're curious right because it's half of who you are. Yeah, exactly.、Um, or it's like when they do talk about it, they just kind of like casually drop it. <laughs> 
<laughs> like drop the most like what like mind blowing thing. Yeah. In the middle of a conversation, and he's like, "Oh yeah, like your dad did that," or "Yeah, oh, yeah, I did that," and yeah. I'm like, "Excuse me, <laughs> like how did I never know that about you?" Yeah. yeah. And also in general, I feel like in Thailand or in Asia, I should say they don't talk about their past. Western parents are always like, "When I was your age, I did this and this," and when yeah. I was, you know, but Asian parents don't. And like growing up as well, I remember like I would suddenly hear things like in my early twenties or something. I found out that my mom had like once owned a hair salon shop and she once owned a steak shop and I was like, yeah. what? Yeah, you ran a company. Like <laughs> I'm like, what? And they just they could bring it up so casually, like you said. And it's yeah. like, wait, wait, no, I want to hear more. And they're like, no, but it didn't work. It failed. You know, we don't talk about it. And I'm like, yeah, but why? <laughs> I, exactly. I'm like, that's still interesting. Yeah, like why? It's just like craziest things. So going back to Cambodia, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you mentioned that you learned a lot about the Cambodia genocide. Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Maybe from your obviously from your family's perspective, like mm-hmm. what was that like? What happened? I guess maybe give us some context. This was like really interesting to me because I never heard about the Cambodian genocide. I read about it in my world history textbook, but it was like a little footnote yeah and i've never heard of it either yeah and so i was like what like i only heard about it from my family but mm-hmm. i like really never touched on it in like history class at all it's a genocide that only like took place for four years from 1975 to 1979 mm-hmm. and over 1.7 million people which is the lower estimate died due to being overworked starvation or torture Oh my god, that's a big number. Yeah, they say like 15 to like 33% of the population were wiped out in only four years. Oh my god. Yeah, basically Cambodia had been going through the civil war and then it was coming off the tail end of like this bombing. So the US had these secret bombings to kind of drive the Viet Cong out of the Cambodian jungle because the Viet Cong had been hiding in there Mm -hmm. during Vietnam War. And so the US had this secret bombing. It was like unauthorized, like they just, we need to do this so they bombed the jungles basically it like destroyed Cambodia Mm -hmm. Um, Cambodia like economically like socially was just like completely shattered and it was also going through a civil war and so this idea of like rebuilding the country as like classless agrarian society like just going back to like the farmland is like you know self-sustaining farmlands with no modern influence with no technology no industrialization people were like yeah that's cool let's let's do that Mm -hmm. and so you know, this dictator and he formed this political party called the Khmer Rouge, which basically they were like brutal and like really paranoid. And so they like took power. And in addition to this agrarian society, they were also like doing ethnic cleansing. So a lot of ethnic minorities were also killed. They were like killing off intellectuals because they didn't want anyone to like oppose them. They basically moved everyone from the city into the jungle and like overworked them. It obviously like failed. A lot of people starved to death. Like people are just not well equipped to do anything. There's a really good movie on it called First They Killed My Father, which was directed by Angelina Jolie oh, wow. um, on Netflix. And it's really good. And it kind of like goes into the history of it and follows like the story of this girl who like became a child soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like another thing that they did. They like had a lot of kids spy on their parents. Essentially, they wanted to like train these kids to be the next generation of like soldiers to fight and follow the Khmer Rouge. Right. But my family is Chinese Cambodian. So mm-hmm. they were like 
like ethnic minorities mm-hmm. and they're like you can't speak chinese like they were not allowed to speak chinese um i think my a lot of my aunts and my uncle moved to into the jungle as well and i think i had a couple aunts from my dad's side who just like disappeared so they like nobody knows what happened to them i think one of my aunt like stole food or something like that and she was just like taken away and oh nobody like knew if she lived or died or what happened to her just disappeared yeah she just like disappeared my grandparents on my dad's side i think also died in the genocide my grandfather on my mom's side died from the genocide he was like a political figure so he mm-hmm. was like the first to go and my mom's family made it out of the cambodia just in time before things got too serious in yeah. there and so my mom's family fled to vietnam as like cambodian refugees mm-hmm. but yeah like no one knew what happened to my my mom's dad my grandpa he he stayed behind and yeah. they just never heard from him again and like a lot of them also like burned their documents and stuff because they didn't right. want people to find out no that evidence. they were like chinese you know yeah. it's crazy and i remember like my aunt she was like oh yeah i made myself younger in my new documents <laughs> she like changed her birthday <laughs> i was like is that allowed <laughs> so that's why like this year she was like griping because she was like dang it like i should be retired by now like i should be in retirement but like it says that i'm younger so she was like, I really kicked myself in the foot. I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah. Change your age. Yeah, she was like, I just wanted to be younger. I'm like, okay, I'll take <laughs> that's, yeah. that's hilarious i know i was like wow okay i guess and she's like i also changed my birthday so it's easier to remember so it's 10 10 and i'm like okay <laughs> and now she's like damn i want to be retired <laughs> i know and she's like why did i make myself younger i should have made myself older <laughs> i can't believe that that happened somewhere in the world and mm. no well not no i'm sure there are people who know about it i'm mm-hmm. I, I also am very bad with history so i must mm-hmm. say i don't know a lot about history but the fact that i've never it's not something people talk about or it's not a story that i've heard of or at least you know so yeah i think it's crazy and i mean from what you said like it's it was a very big deal i mean it was yeah. you know lo- not only did lots of people lose their lives but the people who didn't die they they had a really difficult time too and like yeah i'm sure they're also i mean i'm sure you have even more stories that obviously we don't have time to hear all of them but like Mm. i can imagine there must be especially because your dad your dad's family right they survived so like they saw the whole thing and Mm -hmm, you know they were mm -hmm. there and that's really crazy but also very interesting Mm -hmm, obviously mm -hmm. from a current perspective to be able to have someone who was there at the time to be able to tell you these stories. So it's not like you're reading about it in a book, but like you have people who actually, you know, from the source, like telling you their experience. So yeah, for sure. I hear these things and I'm like, wow. Sounds like a movie, you know? Yeah. Like I can't believe you came out of that. Like, yeah. And you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like mentally and emotionally. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. And that must have been, yeah, an amazing year for you then to be able to mm-hmm. really have the time to actually get to know them and to hear all the stories and to, yeah. Do you, are you going to write down the story? Or yeah, <laughs> I remember I remember writing down a lot of it for mm. like a lot of my college stuff. But I, I know my my family was like really reluctant. I only had one aunt that was like really wanted to go into depth. Like mm-hmm. she was very willing to talk about very specific experiences. But a lot of my family was just kind of like, yeah, we, we did that. We went through that. That was a bad thing. Yeah. And I was like, OK, <laughs> yeah. like, I don't I don't think a lot of them want to talk about, you know, like this trauma. Um, of course, which is also understandable. Yeah. And it's like fairly recent. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was just within like the last generation. Yeah. 
yeah, it's just crazy. I think it might just be still too fresh, but mm. all the stories that I have gathered, um, I definitely like have them saved. Mm, yeah, because <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's amazing to have those. So coming to the end of the interview, okay. I want to ask you the same question I ask all my interviewees, which mm-hmm. is if you had one message or life advice to share with the audience, what would it be? One quote that I keep coming back to is um, from F. Scott Fitzgerald. And it goes something along the lines of like, for what it's worth, it's never too late to start over, Mm -hmm. essentially. This is just of the quote. I'm paraphrasing. (laughs) But I feel like I always come back to this um, because whenever I feel stuck or whenever I feel like, oh, something's out of my control, I just remember like, you can just start over. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's never too late. Like you can just do whatever you want to do. And like everything that you do is a decision that you make. Like no one's forcing you to do anything. Like you might Mm -hmm. have to make a few sacrifices here and there, but ultimately it is a choice and Mm -hmm. you can start to do something new or start over or you know whatever it is like just don't be afraid like it's not too late to do and pursue the things that you want to pursue I like that and I think it's really true especially like I feel like our current generation we're, we're slowly leaning away from this idea of like you have to be married by a certain age and have kids by a certain age mm-hmm. I feel like now a lot more people a lot more younger people are thinking well why why do I have to do that you know like there's also another quote which is like we, we're all on our own timeline or something like that like we all yeah. have, you know you set your own time you don't have to follow someone else this timeline yeah so. exactly yeah i really like that quote yeah it's very comforting <laughs> yeah well thank you so much man for sharing so much with us and um the interesting history lesson too <laughs> thank you i love history <laughs> <laughs> yeah hopefully um we will get to hear more about your stories in the future yeah. and of course don't forget to follow van on instagram and yeah, tiktok at know. vanilla la art <laughs> yes. yes and if you have any illustration um, projects you can also uh, send an email to van i'll put all her information in the description <laughs> cool thank you so much for having me yay首先我问范他搬去加州时才六岁我问他当时有什么感受他说他到美国的时候他以为自己来到了另一个星球他从LA的机场走出去看到了架桥上的高速公路还有很高很高的树他第一次看到这么多车子他以为他到了未来的
就像他在校园脱衣服这件事情，也没有人告诉他为什么不好，只是说这是不对的事情。虽然他的学校没有什么亚洲人，但是他说有一些拉丁人，有一些也是因为父母而搬来美国的。所以他很早最早的朋友，大部分都跟他一样，觉得自己有点像个外人。我问他当时怎么学英文的，除了学校的课程以外，他说他家里附近有一个图书馆，所以他下课的时候都会在那边写功课。等他的妈妈下班，然后他加入了读书会，还有一些图书馆会办的一些小活动，他都会参与。所以阅读还有听故事帮助了他很多。他说他真的很喜欢图书馆的环境，那里的人都很愿意聊天，有点像是个大家庭，很温馨。接着我问范，毕竟他刚到的时候一定觉得自己是亚洲人，可是在美国待了一段时间，特别是到了青少年时期都在美国，他后来觉得自己变得比较像亚洲人还是美国人呢？他说对。他成长的时候，慢慢开始吸收越来越多美国人的想法和行为，特别是国高中的时候。到了大学的时候，他才开始融入两种文化，还有他的 Asian American 身份。他开始主动的去寻找其他亚洲人去交朋友和互动，因此他发现他们真的有很多共同点，或是成长背景有相同的经验。他发现他不像在亚洲的亚洲人。但同时，他也不像在美国的白人，所以这个 Asian American 的身份其实很适合他。他说他到了国高中时变得比较像美国人。我问他哪方面让他觉得自己很像美国人，他说当时看到其他当地同学，他会觉得他们才是正常的，他们才是我在电视上看到的那样。然后他就会再看看自己的家和自己的生活，就会觉得为什么我的生活不一样，然后也会因为这样跟他妈妈吵架。他只想要跟其他人一样。我问他能不能分享一个 example。一个例子，当时有什么事情让他觉得自己家不一样？他说他有个朋友住很近，那个朋友的生活就是标准美国电视上的生活，大房子、大花园、幸福的家，他们会一起庆祝感恩节，一起看电影等等。他常常下课后会去他们家玩，然后他就会觉得他朋友的生活才是大家应该要有的生活，而且。他朋友跟他妈妈吵架的时候，但还会跟他说：“你的家已经很棒了，不要跟你妈妈吵架，你要感恩。”他说特别印象是他要准备考大学的时候，因为妈妈没有上过大学，而且也不懂美国的教育系统，所以他的妈妈会说：“你就随便找一个便宜的大学去读就好了。”可是他朋友的爸妈是完全相反的反应，他们会叫他去做一些活动，教他怎么写申请书。帮他计划很多，也是这个朋友的爸妈建议办，考虑一些比较好的大学，也帮他找了一些奖学金，还有辅助等等。当时他就会觉得，为什么是别人的父母要帮我做这些准备，而不是我自己的妈妈？当然，现在回想，他也知道妈妈只是不知道怎么帮他，毕竟他也不懂。可是小时候你就会觉得很混乱、很挫折。我说，我觉得这很正常。小时候我们都觉得自己的父母是完美的，长大后我们才慢慢发现。他们也有不懂的事情，也有犯错的时候，而且在那个环境里面，因为大部分的人都是当地人，所以他看到的都是爸妈在帮小孩，所以他当然会觉得为什么我却不是，所以很容易产生负面的情绪和指责。我觉得在我们爸妈的年代，他们都觉得小孩适应能力很强，移民并不会影响他们很多。可是其实我们的影响非常大。现在渐渐的开始有比较多人意识到这件事情，也希望在未来的日子里，这些小孩们可以有更多的。的支持还有帮助。接着我问范，他妈妈有没有维持一些他们自己文化的习俗，或者有没有要求他做什么事情？他说有很多小事情，例如说他妈妈很注重跟长辈打招呼这件事情。他记得当时他会觉得，我又不认识这些人，为什么我要跟他们打招呼？好尴尬。
可是他妈妈就是很坚持，如果你回到家看到有客人，一定要打招呼，还有鞠躬，还有过年有红包等等，就是一些对于长辈的礼貌或是尊重和孝顺的行为。毕竟国外没有辈分这种习惯，所以他会觉得美国人都不用这样，为什么他要这样？他们家也是道教，所以家里会有一些拜拜等等的习俗。听起来 Van 的妈妈在美国有一个小亚洲社会。我们家以前在荷兰也是有一群台湾的相亲会，里面都是台湾人。然后也因为这个大家庭，所以我才学到很多台湾的文化和习俗。我觉得这个其实很重要。大学毕业后 ，Van 搬去了柬埔寨住了一年。我请他分享为什么会选择去柬埔寨。他说，因为他爸爸的亲戚都住在那边。Van 的父亲在他三岁的时候，很不幸的走。虽然以前偶尔会去探亲，可是他其实对爸爸的生活和背景很不了解，妈妈也不太会去跟他聊爸爸的事情，所以他每一次回去探亲就会学到一些关于爸爸或是他家人的故事，例如他们全家都有经历红色高棉大屠杀，他对这件事情很好奇，所以才会决定搬去住一年，去更了解这些故事。还有他爸爸的背景，虽然以前没有住过柬埔寨，但他那时候有一种返乡的感觉，也更了解了自己。Van 提到他妈妈不愿意聊他爸爸的事情，我发现这是一个亚洲人的习惯，他们不太愿意谈失去的悲伤，还有失去人的事情，他们比较会逃避这种话题，所以我可以理解他一定有很多的问题，很好奇爸爸的很多事情。他说：“对，如果妈妈有提到爸爸，都是很突然的一句话或是一件事情，然后你就会觉得什么？他竟然做过这件事情。范讲这个让我想起我妈妈很少聊他的过去。我记得二十几岁的时候，我妈妈有一天突然提到他开发廊的时候，或是他开过牛排店，然后我整个就很惊讶，长这么大我都不知道我妈有创业过，或是自己开店。然后当时我想问他更多，他就会说。”没有什么好讲啊，反正就失败了。我觉得亚洲的父母比较少分享自己年轻时的一些故事，但西方家长常常会说：“我以前年轻的时候做过什么，去过哪里等等。”像我爸就是这种，这也是一个有趣的文化差异。回到柬埔寨的经验，范有提到红色高棉大屠杀，我请他分享一下他的亲戚在那段时间的经历，还有当时的情况。他说他在学校没有学到很多关于这件事情。我说，其实我也没有听过。他说是1975到1979年发生的大屠杀，然后有至少170万人因为过度疲劳或是被折磨到死。以我们所知， 1 5到33趴的柬埔寨人民在那四年死亡，非常惊人。一开始，柬埔寨经历了一些炸弹，当时美国想要把越共引出柬埔寨的森林，所以放了一些炸弹。这些事毁灭了柬埔寨的经济状况，所以当时人就想说，我们要回到原始最平凡的生活。然后就有一位 dictator 独裁者创造了 Kumar Rouge 红色高棉。他们那时做了非常多伤害人民的事，包括种族清洗，还有谋杀一些比较聪明的人民。其他人被移到森林里去工作。后来有很多人累死跟饿死。如果有听众们想更了解这件事情，班推荐一部电影。叫做《他们先杀了我父亲》，柬埔寨女孩的回忆，在 Netflix 上就可以看到。她的家人因为从中国来的，所以也算是少数民族之一。那个时候他们都不能讲中文，然后也要搬到森林里。还有一些爸爸那边的亲戚，像阿姨们。
因为偷了食物被带走，后来直接消失，没有人知道他们后来发生什么事。他的爷爷奶奶也是在那个时候过世，他的外公在那个时候是政治人物。在这一切开始之前，就有帮助 Van 的妈妈他们逃出柬埔寨到越南，但是外公后来的下场也没有人知道。Van 分享了一个很可爱的故事，就是他的阿姨逃到国外之后，因为身上都没有任何文件，所以他要创造新的护照的时候。他想说要让自己变得比较年轻，结果他现在后悔了，因为他现在真实的年纪应该可以退休，但因为当时改了出生年日，所以现在还要继续工作。我觉得真的很可爱。我说，我觉得这一年对 Van 来说真的很珍贵。虽然这件事情很恐怖、很惊人、很难想象他们经历了什么，但是可以听到他们当下最真实的故事，因为他们亲身体验的真的很特别。他说他要把这些所听到的故事写下来，真的很珍贵。最后我问他，如果有一段话可以跟听众们分享，他会想说什么？他说他想引用 F. Scott Fitzgerald 的一句话：“你永远不用觉得来不及重新开始。”他常常遇到困难的时候，他会告诉自己没有关系，大不了就是重新开始。你有所有的选择权，所以不用害怕来不及，或是太晚开始追求你想做的事情。我很喜欢这句话，也希望所有听众们可以勇敢的去做自己想做的事情。非常感谢 Van 今天来和我们分享这么多有趣的故事，还有学到一些历史呢。也在这里推荐大家去看一下 Van 的图画，可以在 IG 搜寻 Vanilla La Art。就是 V A N I L L A L A A R T， 链接也在简介里面。如果喜欢今天的音频，请记得帮我们打五颗星，也可以在 IG 帮我们分享，记得泰国让我看见。Thank you again to Van for sharing so many incredible stories and even an interesting history lesson. Don't forget to check out her illustrations on Instagram. You can search Vanilla La Art, V A N I L L A L A A R T. You can also check the link in the description. If you've also enjoyed this interview in the podcast in general, it would mean so much to me if you could give us a five-star rating and follow me on social media, International Talk underscore Podcast. I appreciate every comment and feedback. Thank you for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful week. I'll see you next time. 我们下次见喽。